in this series on uh, generosity, and I've got a very powerful, powerful message today. I want you to poke your neighbor and say, it's a test. Yeah, just say, hey, hang in there. This is going to be powerful today. Poke your other neighbor and say, no, no, you got to hear what I'm saying. You need to hang in there. This is going to be powerful today. Amen. Like four of you believe it. How many thinks God's got a word for you today? Amen. You, if you don't already not on you version, you should be on you version for sure. Download the notes; they're on there. You can save them at the end of service and always refer back to them. Okay, let's go to Malachi chapter three, and if you will stand for the reading of God's word, Malachi chapter three. Um, this is a probably a familiar portion of scripture if you've been in church very long at all. Uh, pastors refer to it often and uh, in offering times and so forth. And um, I, I want to hit this in the New King James Version, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. Everybody shout out one more time, it's a test. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. If you have it, shout out a good amen. amen. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Everybody say he doesn't change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances. That's an important word right there. Everybody say ordinance. And have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. So God is connecting returning to his ordinances to returning to him. Returning to and obeying his word is returning to him. There's a connection there. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Verse 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Poke your neighbor and say, this is not good. But it's about to get better. He says, there's an answer for this. And the answer starts in verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Storehouse was where they were being fed, spiritual, uh, uh, they were getting, uh, all the needs were being met, that's where they brought into the local temple. In our day and age, it's the local church in which you're attending and being fed. And if you're online today, I don't know, where, where'd the online camera go? Are we, are we down today? We are down today. Okay, so no one's watching live, but they can hear us auditorily. All right, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that's the local church where you're being fed. That there may be food in my house, everybody say spiritual food. And try me now in this. Test me now in this. The one time in the Bible God says test him. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. That word try me is test me. If I will not open you for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That means you'll have more than enough. Verse 11 and through 12. I love this. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I'll rebuke the, uh, the pipe bursting in the wintertime. Devour. I'll, I'll, I'll rebuke the engine blowing in the car. Devour for your sake. And the list could go on. Not that those things will never happen, but how much does he rebuke that we don't know? So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, the things that you're investing in, the things that you're trying to do for his kingdom. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're going to teach us today. I'm super excited about it because, God, you're going to teach us how to be blessed and walk in blessing. And, God, I just pray right now, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts. 
I pray, Father, you would anoint me to speak forth your word, not in, not in word and tongue only, but also in spirit and in, in might and power and in deed. I pray that the word of God flow, Father, this morning. And I pray, God, right into the hearts and the souls and the spirits of every man, woman, and child in Jesus' name. I pray let the seed be planted in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would just help our nation to be unified after you. Bring a great awakening, God, to start in the White House and Congress and among our Supreme Court justices and go throughout this entire land, God. Bring a great awakening, a great revival. God, where we turn back to you as a nation, Lord Jesus, and we see radically millions and millions of people saved. I believe you've done it before. You'll do it again. We proclaim it, God, and pray your hedge of protection on us now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, hold your Bibles in the air in whatever form, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. Say it's a test. It's a test. How many of you ever seen that on your TV screen before? If you are probably 25 and under, you have no idea what this means. For everyone else, you know exactly what this means. <laughs> There's a story out of Oxford University in England where uh, an auditorium class about this size, over 300 students were in there, and it was a final exam, and and the professor called out, 15 minutes till the end of test, 10 minutes till the end of test, 5 minutes, 1 minute, finally, hey, time to turn your test in. And students began to get out of their chairs and they began to bring their written exams down to the front. This one young man kept writing and the professor saw him. He said, hey, hey, you got to turn your test in. <laughs> he kept writing and 5 minutes later he's talking to students and he sees them still writing. He says, hey, hey, you got to turn your test in. Bring that thing in. Ten minutes, about everybody has rifled out by this point, and he says, hey, that's it. You're getting a zero on the test. Bring me your exam right now. Well, the young man, unmoved by this, gathers his belongings, comes down with a test, walks down. He says, do you know who I am? And the professor says, no. He says, are you sure you don't know who I am? He says, no, I don't know who you are, and I don't care who you are. He said, are you, I want to be absolutely sure. Do you have any idea who I am? Professor says, no, I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. And I don't care who your daddy is. You're getting a zero on this exam. To which point, he picked up half the stack of exams, put his in the middle, set it down, said, okay, thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> there are many in the body of Christ that are great faith talkers. But they're not great faith talkers. Walkers. Trusting in God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of active obedience. 
James says, you tell me you're going to show me your faith without works. I'm going to tell you I'm going to show you my faith by my works. I'm going to show you I trust and believe God by the things that I'm doing, by the actions that I'm taking. I don't just blindly wish and hope. Faith, faith requires action on our part. Someone shout a good amen. That's why you don't know what faith is made of until it's tested. So God does test us. Poke your neighbor and say, God, test us. And listen, you don't get kicked out of the third grade for shaving in the kingdom of God. You keep going around that tree in the third grade until you pass the test in God's kingdom. Amen. God is not the public school system in America. If you don't pass his test, you will keep wandering around that same bush until you and I do. Do you believe that? And God doesn't test us to try to destroy our lives. He doesn't test us because he wants to know what's inside of us and, and, and to find out where we're at. But he tests us to show us, to allow us to see where we really stand. To allow us to be able to grow in faith. Test or not for God's information. When God tests us, he's not looking to see what you and I know. He already knows whether we're going to pass the test or not. He's allowing us to see for ourselves what's really going on. Tests are all about us, not anything really to do with God. So God's purpose in testing you is to let you know, you and I, what you really believe versus what you think you believe. When God tests us, He is testing us to show us what we really believe versus what we say we believe. And the two can be very far apart sometimes. One student used to tell his teachers, I know all this stuff, I know all this stuff. And the teachers used to say, well, we'll see. In other words, what you really know will be demonstrated by a test. So the first point I want to give to, well, not the first point, but James 1, 2, and 4, I'll get to that in a minute, says this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various, what? Trials. Everybody say test. Knowing that the testing of your faith, so God is telling us right here in the scriptures, he is going to test our faith. He said that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if I wrote the Bible, I'd leave this out. I'm just being honest with you. How many of you, if you wrote the Bible, you'd probably say, well, we don't want that in there. We'll just leave that out. That's how you know God wrote the Bible, because if you wrote it, there'd be some things missing. Because there's something in there for all of us. Amen? And he tells us very plainly, God, if you are his child, he will test your faith. He will test you to see, for you to see what's inside. Now, testing is not unusual in life, right? In order to be able to drive a vehicle, you still have to pass a test, even if you've been driving since you were 13. If you, if you, that's the driver's license test is still the standard for you to pass to be able to operate a motor vehicle. Isn't that correct? Now, it'll bring you joy. Didn't it feel good when you first got your driver's license? Man, you felt free. You felt... Wow, I can go drive. I can, I can, I don't, not dependent on mom or dad to take me somewhere or a friend. I can, I can drive them on. It felt good. In the same way, it will feel great when you pass a test in the kingdom of God. You'll have joy and you'll realize I have passed it. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this tithing is a test. Everybody say, tithing is a test. Perhaps there is no greater test that people struggle with than the test of obedience with money. 
in this financially driven society in which we live. Where the object of the game is to hoard up as much as we can. Take as much as we can. It just seems ludicrous for the church to say, hey, wait a minute. God is saying that you need to give. That you need to obey God in tithes and offerings. With everyone trying to hoard up all they can. It seems countercultural and it seems repulsive to some in the church to say, I can't believe God would expect that of me. Holly and I were challenged early on in our ministry or life, really, marriage, way before ministry. Would we obey God in tithes and offerings or not? We chose to do so, and you've heard me before. If you're new here, you haven't heard. But when we first got married, I can remember being down to a half a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. And we had a choice where we're going to obey God and tithe, which wasn't much money. We were both full-time students. Or were we going to go out and get what little bit of groceries we could? We decided to tithe. And a few hours later, her sorority sisters came over and brought us three or four bags of groceries, more than what we could have bought with our measly little ties anyways. And from that moment on, God taught us, you can trust me. And we do that consistently. Every time you get paid, it's a test. Did you know every single time you get a paycheck or you get an increase in income, God is testing you, will you obey my word and trust me? Is it all right to preach the truth this morning? Do I have a body of people that still want to hear what God's whole word says? There's, an, there's a group of people out there that they only want to go to churches that tickle their ears and make them feel good. I want you blessed. Amen. Glory to God. So the test is this. Who are you going to thank for your income? Whom are you going to worship for your income? This is how you know who you're thanking for your income. The first check you write. The first check you write is who you thank for your income. And unfortunately, there are many in the church that they thank Visa and MasterCard for their income. They thank the mortgage company or the IRS. And God is asking us today, he said, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to thank for your income? Because who gave it to you? God did. Amen. I'm going to keep preaching. Praise the Lord. Some people think a credit card first, but you know what? They don't have the power to bless you. Some people think their mortgage company or their car payment or the insurance first, but they don't have the power to bless you. Some people think Kroger first, but it don't have the power to bless you. We need to thank God first because He's the only one with the power to bless us. Can I get a witness from anybody? Someone has said there are three kind of givers. There are flint givers, there are sponge givers, and honeycomb givers. Flint, you know, the only way you get anything out of flint is you got to hammer it. And then only you get a few chips and some sparks fly, and that's about it. And a sponge, you can squeeze and the water will come out. And the more pressure you apply, the more the water comes out. With a honeycomb, it just overflows and drips with sweetness. So which does God have to do with you? Take a hammer spiritually and... Beat and beat and beat and hope that he can get something out of you. Or a sponge and he just has to squeeze and squeeze. Or do you just overflow with a giving, serving spirit naturally? See, Malachi 3.7, look in your Bible. Your Bible says that you have gone away from my ordinances. You've got to catch this. Everybody say ordinance. Ordinance, if you look this up in the Hebrew, it literally means a principle of ordinary behavior. Everybody say it's ordinary. Ordinance means ordinary. He said, you have gone away from my ordinary behavior of my children. 
What my children normally act like is they normally and they ordinarily give tithes and offerings. And he's speaking to the church of that time, the children of Israel. And he says, you have gone away from the ordinary normal thing that you're supposed to do. What is now in our culture, out of the ordinary, God says is normal. That's eye-opening, folks. Malachi 3 says, if I tithe, I am blessed. If I don't, I'm cursed. Everybody say cursed. Now, I'm going to say some things that are strong, but it's right out of the Bible. Do we want to know what the Bible says? He says, watch this. If you are tithing and giving, he says, you're blessed. You're going to have more than enough. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. He says, if you don't, he says, you're cursed. Now, you've got to catch this because some Christians mess this up. They say, well, if you don't tithe, God's going to curse you. It never says God's going to curse you. It just says you're under a curse. In other words, what God says is, if you rob him of tithes and offerings, watch this, you have voluntarily placed yourself under a curse. There's only two places you can place yourself. You either obey God and place yourself under his blessing, or you rob God of his tithes and offerings and you place yourself under a curse. Now, I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, Tom Hanks in the one movie. I, what, what's the guy's name? You know, I'm not a very smart man. Forrest Gump, I'm not a very smart man. But I think I like to have blessing and not cursing. Amen? God doesn't want us to be cursed. He wants us to be blessed. But here's the cool part. You and I choose every paycheck which party we're going to place ourselves under. Do we want to be blessed or cursed? The choice is yours and I's. Here's the beauty of it. If you have voluntarily placed yourself under the cursing program, you can repent today, write your first tithe check, and put yourself in a new category. I'm telling you, life is a lot better under the blessing of God than it is the curse. How many have found that to be so? Tithing is a test of your faith. Everybody say it's a test of your faith. Remember, James said he's going to test our faith. Tithing, test it. Every time you and I get paid, it's a test to see, do we really believe that 90% with God's blessing is better than 100% under a curse? Tithing is 10% of our income, folks. It's not 5.5%. It's not a token tip. It's not, well, you know, I make $1,000 a week. Let me just throw $20 in the offerings I tithe. No, that's not tithe. Tithing is 10%. It's God's system. I'm going to show this to you biblically here in a minute. But Deuteronomy 14.22 says this. Look what the Bible says. You shall truly what? Tithe. That means 10%. It means a tenth. All the increase. Everybody say all. Listen, if somebody gives me 100 bucks for my birthday, God gets 10. I was increased. That's just the way I do things. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, basically your income. So the number 10 represents testing in the Bible. Did you know that? So let's just start with a few easy questions. And y'all, I want to I get your response from me. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Let's try it again. How many plagues were in Egypt? How many plagues were in Egypt? How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Because it's in the Bible. Yes. How many commandments are there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? How many times did God, did Laban uh, 
uh, changed Jacob's wages? How many days were Daniel tested? Ten. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days were the disciples tested in an upper room in the book of Acts? How many days of testing are mentioned in the book of Revelation? How many disciples are there? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> I gotcha. I love it. There were, there were twelve disciples. What Bible are y'all reading? Two men were marooned, shipwrecked on an island. The one guy was pacing around. He was frantic. No phone, no way to communicate. They're on a, just a deserted island, and he is pacing. He's fretting. And he looks over the other guy, and the other guy's just kind of laying out, suntanning with a big smile on his face. He comes up. He says, man, what are you smiling about? He said, aren't you afraid? We're going to die out here. We don't know what we're going to eat. We don't know what we're going to do. Are you afraid? The guy said, no. He says, well, why not? He said, look, man, I make $100,000 a week. I tithe faithfully to my church every week. He said, my pastor will find me. <laughs> People will say, listen, listen, I, I want you to hear some of the things I've heard. People will say, oh, pastor, I can't be under a curse because Jesus Christ bore the curse for me. Therefore, since he bore it for me, I couldn't possibly be cursed. Well, curse simply means a consequence. Curse is really, all, boiled down, it's just a negative consequence for bad behavior is all it means. So let's look at this a different way. 1 Peter 2.24, and I want you to leave this up. It says, he who, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins. Everybody say died to sins. Might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Leave, leave this up for just a minute. Jesus bore our sins. Does that mean that a believe, as a believer, I can never ever again sin after I've been born again? Of course not. We repent of our sins and God forgives us. But if we continue to walk and live in sin, we are under a curse. In the same way, is it possible to not obey God's word in tithes and offerings and place ourselves even after grace even though Jesus bore the curse for us, under a curse. Of course it is. Some people will say, well, pastor, you don't understand. Tithing, I love this one. Tithing's under the law. I'm under grace. I don't have to tithe anymore. Okay. So does that mean because it was right under the law, it's now wrong under grace? So that means in the same line of reasoning, thou shalt not kill, pastor, was Old Testament. I'm under grace now, so I can kill. How many of you, if you go out today and you shoot somebody and kill them, how many of you think that you're going to have a negative consequence? You're going to be under the curse of prison, right? Right, so I can just see you now if you decide to go next door and rob one of the stores and the cops pulling you and, and handcuffs and you say, wait a minute, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. The cop's going to say, buddy, you under this law and you're going to jail, right? Why is it that we think somehow that if we rob God of his tithes and offerings because we're in the New Testament that somehow God's okay with it? And I'm going to prove to you that he's not, but I just want to pose that question to you. 
Think about what I'm saying here. Do you think that if I lie, if I lie on Chris Combs, if I just go out and deliberately start slandering him and gossiping and telling a bunch of stories about him, how many of you think I could do that? Yes. But how many knows that I would be cursed? I would be under a negative consequence. Why? It would damage our relationship. It would destroy our relationship. It would destroy our friendship. I would be under a curse. I would have negative consequences. So because of that, I don't do that. I speak well of Chris. I speak well of you. I speak life. I speak blessing. I want to bless you, not curse you, and not curse myself in the process. How many of you know we choose by how we live whether we're going to walk in blessing or cursing? The choice is ours. So, tithing is biblical, which is point number two. Number one, tithing is a test, but tithing is biblical. I want to show you this. I hear people say, Pastor, you listen, listen. That old tithing stuff, that's all the law. That's the law. We've done away with the law. Listen, there's a problem in the church today, and, I, and it's, it's damaging. It is a desecration to say, well, the, the law, the law, and look on it with disdain. Because Galatians says, Paul writes, he says, wait a minute. The law is your schoolmaster. You wouldn't even know that you need to be saved if it wasn't for the law. We don't look down on the law. Listen, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Grace takes it further. The law says don't kill. Jesus said don't hate in your heart. The law says don't commit adultery. Jesus said if you even lust after her, you've already done it. Grace takes it further, not shorter. Someone say amen. Listen, tithing started... Way before the law. I hear people say, Pastor, that's Old Testament. Why are you preaching that Old Testament stuff? Well, let's just, let's, uh, or the law stuff. That was Mosaic law, Mosaic law, Mosaic law. Well, let me show you. 500 years before Moses was around and law. Let me show you where tithing started. Genesis 14. Everybody say 500 years early. Then Melchizedek, son of Salem, brought out his bread and wine. It was the priest of the God of Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed, blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a what? A tithe. Abraham gave him a tithe of what? All. That's 500 years before Moses. You want to see 400 years before law and Mosaic law and Moses? His grandson, Jacob. In Genesis 28, 20 through 22, then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, this journey we call life, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, who, who provides it? God does. And if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house. And I will give to you a tenth, everybody say tithe, of how much? All that you give me. Tithing was way before the law, but it is also law. Luke, Le Leviticus 27.30 One tenth or the tithe of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? And must be set apart to him as what? Every time we don't bring God his tithe, we're stealing from him and we're touching the holy thing. And anytime you find people in the Bible that stole from God and touched God's holy thing, it did never work that well for them. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 2 says this, Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce. Everybody say tithe. 
of the ground for which you bring in your land that the Lord your God gives you. And you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. That's the house of God. Somebody say amen. Poke your neighbor said, this is the good news, not the bad news. So tithing is pre-law, tithing is law. But did you know tithing is New Testament? I hear people say, oh, it's not in the New Testament. Yes, it is. Matthew 23, 23. Thank you, Marty. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. Leave this up for just a second before you go to the next one. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. If you study the Greek here, there is zero question. It's a 100%. These ought you to have done is referring to tithes. I have a question for you. If Jesus asked you to tithe, would you do it? Look in the New Living Translation how it's translated. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens. But you ignore the the more important aspects of the law. Like justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the important, more important things. If this was the only verse in the entire Bible on tithing, I would tithe because the person who died for my sins and saved me from hell said I ought to. What does it say to a God who sent his only son to die on the cross to say, Yes, Lord, I receive your Savior. I receive the benefit of being my sins washed away and being uh, my name written in the Lamb's book of life. And I'm on my way to heaven. But I know you said I should do something, but I'm not interested. Wow. Hebrews 7, 8 says it this way. Here mortal men receive tithe. Leave this up for just a moment. But there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lived. I pay my tithes and I put the the tithes in the offering. And here mortal men get them. But according to Hebrews, he receives them there. Is Jesus receiving anything from you up there? And how many of you that tithe regularly and faithfully are happy about the fact that he receives them there? Because when he receives them there, he pours out blessings here. Someone say amen. You know what the Bible says? Of whom it is witness that he lives. I love this. It is proof that he, Jesus, lives in heaven when here on earth I give my tithes and he, Jesus, blesses my finances and protects me financially. Your tithing is proof to the world that he lives. Woo! Because the world can't figure out. How in the world do you live off 90% better than 100%? Look, God's math doesn't work naturally, but it does work supernaturally. I haven't figured it out. I can't do it. 2 plus 2 is 4 on earth, but with God, 2 plus 2 sometimes is 8. He just, he's just God. He does stuff that you think, I don't even know how this happened. I'll tell you why. Because he doesn't bless us based on that earthly natural system. He'll bless us according to his riches in glory. Woo! Does anybody believe this? Is it still okay at Bridge of Hope Church to preach the truth? A guy called into the church office and he said, I want to talk to the head hog. The lady said, well, excuse me? He said, I said, I want to talk to the head hog. 
She said, sir, you referring to our senior pastor? That's what I said. I want to talk to the head hog. She said, sir, you will not call in this office and disrespect our pastor like that. You want to talk to him, you're going to have some respect calling him a head hog. He said, all right, fine, fine. I was calling in to give $50,000 to the building program. She said, wait, hold on. Porky just walked in. So tithing is a test. Tithing is biblical. And here's the really good news. You ready for some great news? Tithing is a blessing. Everybody say it's a blessing. Watch this. 2 Chronicles 31 and 4. Watch what the Bible says. And he commanded him. This is King Hezekiah. And, uh, and he, is, he, is, he is commanding the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. He says, look, they got a job to do. They need to run the house of God. They need to run ministries. You need to bring tithes in so the ministry and the work of God can get done. Right? How many of you know that's uh, amen right there? In Malachi 3.10, uh, he says it this way. He says that there may be food in mine house. There may be spiritual food in my house. Okay? Do you like the spiritual food you're getting at Bridge of Hope Church? Well, somebody's paying for that. Because it's a funny thing about this theater. They want to check every week. They won't just let us come in here. It's a funny thing how it works when you have bills to pay as a church. The people of God, you and me included, are supposed to tithe to God and fund that. Listen, when God instituted tithing and giving in Genesis, he never changed the system. He never said, well, guys, you know, that's Old Testament stuff. You don't have to do that. He endorsed it in Matthew and in Luke. In Hebrews, he said he receives them there. God has never changed the financial system. It is up to us to tithe and give. Would you go to a nice restaurant and eat a nice meal and leave without paying the bill? No, but we wouldn't think of that, but many Christians do that every Sunday. I'm 100% convinced nobody would dig their hand in the offering bag at the end of service and take money out of it. But when you take God's tithe and offering and don't give it to Him, it's no different. You may as well stick your hand in the offering bag and say, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you, Lord. Listen, I know that's hard. But this is the truth. How many of you know the truth? If you know it, it will set you free. Is it okay to preach the truth? Look, our church isn't hurting financially. As a matter of fact, our budget is expanding next year. Things are going well. But it's not about that. I don't want you to be cursed. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. Somebody say amen. The pastor stood before the congregation. He said, I got bad news. I got good news. And I got bad news. He said, the bad news is the church needs a new roof. Well, the congregation groaned. He said, the good news is we have enough money for it. Oh, they sighed in relief. He said, the bad news is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> Watch the rest of 2 Chronicles 31 when the people obeyed God with tithe. Watch this. You've got to catch this. As soon as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance. Everybody say abundance. The first fruits of grain, new wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of all. So the king said, hey, you got a tithe. Everybody started bringing the tithe in, right? 
Watch what God did for his people. The sons of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of sacred gifts which were consecrated to the Lord their God and placed them in heaps. They had so much come in, there were, were heaps of it. And the third month they began to make, uh, make the heaps and they finished by the seventh month. I love verse 8 and 9. When Hezekiah the king comes and the rulers came, they saw the heaps. They blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. He said basically, man, are, are the people okay? I mean, I, this is a mountain of tithe they brought in. Are the, are the people doing all right? Are they blessed? I mean, how are they doing? He was very concerned for his people. Verse 10, Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, watch this, we have had enough to eat and plenty left over, for the Lord has blessed his people, and this great quantity is left over. In other words, King, you don't have to worry, because since the people started obeying your word, it has broke the recession. God's math doesn't work. I know there's a recession and you're broke, but if you'll obey me in the tithe, before it's over, the ministry will have what it needs, and I'll bless you so much you'll have more left over. I can't figure it out. I don't want to figure it out. I just want to trust God. Somebody shout amen. Yes. There are two responses to tithing I hear from, from people in the church all the time. Are you ready? Pastor, I'm just so blessed. I'm just so blessed. The other one. I can't afford to tithe. Now, when you hear that over the course of 22 years of ministry, over and over and over, again, I'm not a very smart guy, but I think I'd like to be so blessed rather than I can't afford. I'm, this is not hard stuff. Amen. Somebody say amen. Here's the deal. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you actually do start tithing because tithing is what breaks the curse. Woo! Has anybody found that to be so? I have never seen a couple in my entire ministry. And I heard this from an older man. It's what got me thinking about it. An older minister who had ministered his whole life. He said he, he said he had never seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen a couple faithfully tithe and get divorced. Never. Tithing is divorce proof. I will rebuke the devourer of your marriage. Somebody say amen. Is this good news or what? Psalm 68, 19 says this. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with burdens. Who daily loads us with all kinds of stuff. Strict stuff and he weighs us way down. Is that what he says? He loads us with what? How many could stand to be loaded down with some benefits? So let me close with this illustration. Chris, I'd like for you to stand up. Brother Rick, I'd like for you to stand up. Brother Ron, I'd like for you to stand up. Uh, let's say that I'm going, I want everybody to catch this revelation. This is a revelation, folks. So just, just remain standing. Let's say I'm going on a, a long mission trip for six months. And I'm going to the, to, the, to the deep, deep out. There's no way you could have cell phones or anything. You just, you're just gone, you're gone. 
And I approach you three men and I say, now you'll know this is hypothetical when I throw these kind of numbers out. But I say, okay, I, I want you, I want to take care of my wife while I'm gone. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give to you and I'm going to have you take care of her for me. Would you, you guys be willing to do that? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give each one of you $10,000 a month. And all I want you to do is give her $1,000 a month because that's, that's my bride. That's my wife. I want her taken care of. Now, it's my money. So I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you. Look, the other 9000 you could do whatever you want. Buy you a car. I don't care. Pay the house off or it doesn't matter to me. Just give her 10%. So three months later, I get to a place and where I can make a phone call and I'm asking how things are going. And so I say, well, and then it hits me. I say, how's the... How's the money coming? She says, well, guy number one right here, he's like clockwork. First of the month, $1,000 every month. Man, never have to worry about it. She said, guy number two, he sends $2,000 a month. I said, $2,000? I only asked him to send 1000 She says he sends $2,000. He's like clockwork. First of the month. I said, wow, I really like this guy. I, what about God? She says, well, we need to talk about guy three. She said, guy three. First month, he sent $700. Second month, he sent $300. I didn't get anything from him third month. Now, this is my wife, who I love dearly. It's my money. I gave to them freely. All I asked to do was give 10%. This guy did it. This guy doubled it. This guy's stealing from my bride. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to quit giving him anything. And I'm going to give to the guy who's doubling it because, man, this guy is more than trustworthy. He's not only tithing, he's giving tithes and offerings. Listen to me very, very closely, folks. Jesus Christ said, I'm going away. And he said to the church, while I'm away, take care of my bride. Listen to this statement on the overhead and look very closely at it because I'm going to drive this point home. I don't think some in the church realize how personal tithing is to Jesus. The same way I would demand these guys to take care of my wife is the same way Jesus demands us to take care of his bride, the body of Christ. He has given us what we get and he can give us more. Or we can place ourselves under a curse. In closing, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. I don't know about you, but our entire marriage, Holly and I decided we were going to take care of God's bride. We were going to take care of the body of Christ. It's a test, folks. And it's not a test for next week. It's not a test for tomorrow. God is saying right now, what are you going to do? Are you going to tithe and give and place yourself under my blessing? Or are you going to place yourself under a curse by withholding and robbing him? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Pastor, that was a tough word. To me, it's the good news. When you tithe, you're blessed. Wow. God wants it.
It's a matter of the heart. We talked last week about how it was a matter of the heart, and this week it's a test. Is God really first? Do you trust God? I'm going to ask you here in just a moment just to pray. We're not going to do any kind of special offering, nothing like that. We're not going to take up the offering differently than we ever have. We're just going to have people standing there. You can text to give like you normally do. You can, you can give online. You can give at the door on your way out. Nobody's going to look at you funny. It's your choice. My question is today, do you want to pass the test? My question is this. Are you obeying God's word? Man, I feel God convicting in here. Please, nobody looking around. If you're in here and you say, obey God's word, I, I've never even accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I feel bad, Pastor. I don't, I don't even feel good inside. I feel, I don't even know how to describe it. The word you're looking for is conviction. And that's God saying, the life you're on is going the wrong way and you need Jesus as Lord and Savior. He came to die on this earth to wash your sin away. His precious blood will wash you away, wash your sins away, and redeem you and bless you. If you're here and you say, I, I want to be saved, I've never been saved, would you raise your hand up? I want to pray for you. I feel, I feel that in my spirit. You say, man, I'm not even passing the test of salvation. I want to give my life to Him. Is there anybody? Would you just to ponder a moment while you're, while they lead us in this song. I want you just to ponder and think about. Am I passing the test? Am I, am I, where am I in God? I saw a billboard one say, time say, you know those Ten Commandments? They're not suggestions. Man, God is calling us to be holy and right and do the right thing. If you'll bless God with tithes and offerings in your whole life, He'll bless you. Wow. If you want to turn your seat into a little altar area, you can do that. But I want you to worship or pray and just reflect within yourself. Where am I in God? Okay, I'm obeying God with tithes and offerings, but are there, are there areas of my life that I'm not obeying? Are there other areas of my life that I am, God is beckoning me and I'm just resisting? Maybe it's time to relent and let it go.